Well, hey, good morning. Here we are in uh, the student space. If you were part of when we launched a, a few years ago here in this new campus, this was actually where we worshiped to start while Denton Hall was uh, finishing construction. Um, but uh, and so we're just back full circle. Uh, it's been a, a wild week, and uh, so I, I appreciate your flexibility. One of the things I've been so blessed by with our church is just uh, just the sweet spirit. It's like, all right, we'll move. We'll go somewhere else. We can, with a, you know, a Bible and a guitar, we can worship God anywhere. And so, uh, so we are going to do what we do. We're going to gather together, open God's word, worship God together, and see how he might be speaking into our lives to send us out into the week. You, you with me on that? All right, so you're going to want a Bible this morning. Uh, you can go. Um, but as you find your way there, obviously, sort of the elephant in the room is we had a little fire uh, last week. And, uh, and despite all of our prayers that God would descend like the fire from heaven, that is not what we meant. But uh, so, uh, so, you know, I mean, if you've been a part of Watch Week, it's such a sweet and significant. I mean, I really, I think it's one of the most important things we do as a church family is every year, the beginning of the year, we stop and we, we dedicate the first week of the year to worship, to prayer, to fasting. Uh, I know many of you are in that. Tonight we will close uh, our watch week with worship night. Uh, we'll draw those of you that have engaged in our, in our church-wide fast. Um, tonight we'll break fast together with communion at watch week and then celebrate with a, a giant feast up in the, in the Bold Springs coffee shop. But part of that watch week experience is uh, is that 24-7 prayer. There's constant prayer flowing out of this space. And um, the crazy thing is, and I, I really am asking the Lord, okay, God, what do you want us to know about this? Uh, because it was literally the one hour that we did not have somebody signed up all week long that that fire happened. And uh, we're not exactly sure what happened, a candle or something. Uh so you know, it was pretty minimal fire damage. Uh, so we're thanking the Lord. Really about a 15-minute window from when we think the fire started to, uh, you know, uh, Monroe Fire Department being here and putting it out. So really the fire was, was pretty minimal and contained, but it was the smoke. And so if you've ever had to deal with that, I mean, literally uh, we're having to take everything out of that building, get it cleaned from uh, walls to, I mean, ceiling to walls to floor, and then move back in. We're hoping to be back in there next Sunday, but what we're planning and preparing for is that that process might take a couple of weeks, and we'll just continue to, to worship in here until um, until we're able to get back in there. So, uh, so the verse I'm holding on to, found this verse this week. I think it's awesome. Uh, this is my verse for the week. It's Revelation 15, 8. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power, and no one could enter the temple. So... That is what we, we are claiming. That's what we're claiming. So, uh, but it is, I do want to just like to, to take uh, the recognize or pause and, and kind of own the moment, so to speak. Because it is minimal that no one was in there. Um, but I was thinking about this. I was like, if the enemy would want to distract or discourage our church, this would be the week to do it. Right? to keep us from this, like, what we feel like is this primary call to reset and refocus on God. And so what could a little fire do but take our mind off what we should be focused on? And at the same time, if God is wanting to wake us up, and we call it watch week, right? 
to wake us up to the, the reality of his power and his glory, this is what we're asking for this week. Amen? God, let us be aware of your power, even if it is, and I don't want to over-spiritualize anything, but even if it is like fire falling from heaven, Pentecost, Acts 2, right? They're gathered together waiting for the Holy Spirit to descend, and it comes like a rushing wind, which we had this morning, and what? Tongues of fire. This symbol, wind and fire of the Spirit moving. And so I'm willing to claim it if, if you're with me. Right? Like we as a church are longing for the power of God to move in such a way in our lives that we transformed, restored in more and more into the fullness, the image of Christ, are moved forward into this world to be agents of reconciliation, healing, restoration, transformation in this world. Amen? And so really watch week, as we said, we talked about last week, really did a deep dive into fasting and the significance, that rich biblical history of fasting as a spiritual discipline, of, of uh, shifting our physical appetites to increase our spiritual hunger for that bread from heaven that can only God can provide. Uh, but this week, we want to look at this aspect of worship. So it's a word we use all the time in church world. You know, we're coming, it's our worship gathering. We're coming to worship. Every week I say, we're here to open the Bible and worship God together. But what is that, what do we mean when we talk about worship? When we use that word, what is that biblical, that deep roots of, of our biblical faith in this call? And so the, the, the word worship in the English, uh, it comes from this old English word uh, that means uh, to declare the worth of something, to acknowledge something's value. You almost say, worded as worth-ship. It's, it's literally the, the roots of that word. But in, uh, in this biblical context, it is that encountering God in such a way that is to find him worthy, having a great value. And then from that place of discovering, encountering, knowing God and discovering his value and his worth, we're moved to respond with our lives and with our lips. Now, a lot of times on Sunday, like we think of worship, we show up on Sunday and we think we kind of, we start with the kind of that end in mind. We start with this idea of like worship is praise, worship is singing. Worship is this music, it's the, the keyboard and the guitar. Worship is that part where we stand up and declare the worth, the value of God. But it doesn't start there. That's the fruit of worship. Worship starts with knowing God, experiencing and encountering God. And the more we know God, the more we discover his value, his infinite power and goodness, his majesty, that he reigns over everything in heaven and on earth, that he is all powerful, he is everywhere at all times, he is wise and he is gracious and he is loving and kind and patient and merciful words and faithful. And that his promises come to pass. And his words that created this universe are also active and living amongst us now. And as God opens our eyes to recognize the worth, the value of God, the only thing that we are left to do is to worship. You deserve it, God. Worship is not about us. Worship is not about us receiving anything, though we do in worship receive things. But worship is just simply the recognition of the value of God and the right response to who he is. Value of God. Now, the, the Hebrew 
word for worship, or the root of, of the Hebrew word that gets used all throughout the Old Testament, is this word shakah. Say that, shakah. Now, Psalm 95 uses that word when it says, come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Today, if only you would hear his voice. Shaka. Now, there's another word in there that's to bend the knee. We talk about this a lot, that we at Grace, one of our, our value of ours, this idea that we are a people of blessing, that, that, we, that we declare honor and blessing. And that word blessing is the word barak, and it means to bend the knee. If you think about uh, a, a lover that's proposing to his beloved, right? Bending the knee, declaring value worth, lowering myself in order to lift up another. So when we bless God, we bend the knee to God. We lower ourselves and recognize his value. When we bless one another, when we bless our children, when we bless our spouses, when we bless our community, we're, we're lowering ourselves to intentionally lift up, to give value to another. But shakah takes it a step further. It's not just simply bending the knee. It's actually laying prostrate on the ground. It is on your face, full surrender. That's what the word shakah, the root of worship, is. Now, the first, we talk about this a lot, this, this first mention principle in Scripture if we really want to get at the meaning of a word as it's carried throughout the Bible, go to the first time that word gets mentioned in the Bible. And the first mention is Genesis 22. So if you're in Genesis 22, it's a pretty familiar story. It's a, it's a story of, of Abraham and his son Isaac. Now, if you remember, Abraham, that was called out from God, that God said, I'm going to bless you, that you could be a blessing, that through you, I'm going to bless the whole world. And, uh, and the way that God was going to carry out this promised blessing through Abraham was that he was going to have a child, a son, and ultimately descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. And then out of this, uh, this promise that, that, that Abraham would have descendants through his wife, Sarah, despite her old age, despite her barrenness, that God was going to birth this miracle child through Sarah that would be the path of God's redemption through, into the world. And so finally, years, decades, and decades pass, and God's promise comes true. Sarah gets pregnant. She gives birth to a son, and they give that son the name Isaac. And then we get to the beginning of Genesis 22, and this long-awaited, promised child of God. I mean, get the, the, the sense of the significance of this baby. I mean, this is not just a mom longing for a child who finally, when she's old, old, that she, uh, I mean, way older than anyone in this room, gets pregnant and has a child. I mean, the miracle of that. It's not just the longing of a mother wanting a baby. It, it's, it's the promise of the hope of redemption for the world. So the significance of this child, and what does God say? Genesis 22. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to Abraham, and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am, which is, by the way, a great first posture of worship. Here I am, God. And he said, and this is what God says to him, take your son, 
your only son, Isaac, whom you love. By the way, this is the first mention of the word love, which is also an interesting study to sacrifice. And go to the land of Moriah. And so Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. I think it's on the screen there. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. It's interesting that even here, at the very beginning of the Bible, God kind of drops this little clue that there's something significant about the third day. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes. Again, that's the right posture of entering into worship is we, is we lift up our eyes out of whatever's happening in the world around us, out of the craziness and the chaos and the busyness of our world, that, that lifting of the eyes to see something bigger. And so he lifts up his eyes and he says to his servants, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship. And then we will return to you. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and he laid it on his son Isaac. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. And so the two of them walked on together. Now Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. And he said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. It's actually, if you don't know, the end of the story is a, a chore God. But in it, we begin to just kind of peel back the layers of what worship is, of what it means to, 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 to lay down, prostrate, but, but to, to surrender wholly to God. That worship is this, this full giving over of our lives to God. And so we see first and foremost that worship is surrender. Abraham willing to give up that which was the most precious thing in his life to trust and follow God, trusting that whatever God has, even if he lost everything, is still better. This is the value that nothing is of greater value than God himself. And so with surrender comes sacrifice. It's also this beautiful foreshadow of what God would do on that same mountain thousands of years later when God himself in the, in the person of Jesus Christ would be crucified on top of that mountain, offering himself God's only son as a sacrifice for the world, the lamb of God slain on our behalf. And so even here at the beginning of the Bible, thousands of years before Jesus would show up on the scene, God is giving a clue of what he is moving the, world's to, the world towards, the fulfillment of his promise to Abraham, that he would provide a child who would be a sacrifice, a substitute, that the lamb would be given, that we could be forgiven and set free and called children of God. And now if that doesn't deserve praise for God, 
who is willing to give up everything for us. And so in worship, the beginning of worship is this posture of laying ourselves before the God of this universe who is deserving of of any sacrifice and so even just practically, we say, in, like, yes, worship, and we'll get to that, is um, and the words that we say. But worship begins with surrender. And so even as you think about every aspect of your life, what in your life is of the greatest value to you? What matters the most to you? What, if you had to give up, would feel like it's going to kill you? And the posture of worship is to say, God, will you give me a glimpse of who you are such that even that thing I'm willing to give into your hands, trusting that to give you anything, you and what you have is so much better. Can we move to that place in worship? That we we name it, whatever that thing is. Okay, God, this is yours. It's not even mine. I'm laying this before you, and I am trusting that whatever you give back to me is better than what I could imagine that I could do with whatever this thing is. Sacrifice, surrender, that's the beginning of worship. And it only comes, as we look up and we get a glimpse of the truth, the value, the worth, the substance, the character of God. Now, it's interesting, too, as you kind of carry this idea of worship forward into the Bible, or starting with this word, shakah, and, uh, and this story of Genesis chapter 22 as the first use of, of worship is that there's a, a, a phrase that gets used. I, pull that verse back up, that passage back up there. Um, there's a phrase in there that, that, that gets re, reused, that repeats itself. Can you find it? You see that? Oh, here I am. That's also a good one. Not what I was thinking of, though. So the two of them walked on together. together. So in this context of worship, there is an aspect of surrendering, of laying our lives flat on the ground before God. But there's also, it carries this idea of togetherness, of encounter, of being with, alongside of God. Because it's one thing, I mean, think about this, it's one thing to surrender and to to give up all claims and all rights to some distant, all-powerful being out there. And even a distant, all-powerful being that created the world would still deserve us to lay flat on the ground and say, yeah, yeah, whatever you want, it's yours, right? Like if all of a sudden there was this uh, giant... Uh, battleship, uh, battle helicopter. I was about to go with uh, extraterrestrials, but I felt like that was going to get weird. So uh, we'll go with a, a battle helicopter. Bear with me. And it was outside of this building. It had all of its missiles and, uh, and, and weapons pointed at us. Is there anybody that thinks it would be a good idea to be like, hey, wait a second. I got some rights here. I got something to tell you. Right? What would your reaction be? What would you do if there's a giant battle helicopter? <laughs> That's an official title. That's what they call them in the Army. <laughs> With its guns pointed at you, what would you do? You'd run, yeah, maybe. 
or just fall on your face and just be like, oh, right? Surrender. Surrender. And if they said, stand up, what would you do? Okay, stand up. Turn around. Okay, what would you do? Put your hand on your head. What would you do? Lift your right hand. Battle. You do, right? Whatever you say. And we take this giant battle helicopter, elevate it out to the being that with a word spoke all of existence into creation. What is the right reaction? Stand on my head or stand on one foot with my hand on my head? Well, whatever you say, right? Okay. Keep moving forward in this. That would be justified, but that is not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is, yes, that powerful, but is also the Father. Yes, it is surrender, but it is also encounter. A God who longs to be with you and me, who sees you, who knows you inside and out better than you know yourself who hears the cries of your heart, that has a plan and a path forward for you, that's envisioned every day of your life before one of them comes to pass, whose voice is calling you by name to lead you forward. A God of closeness and intimacy. That's the power of the name Yahweh. I am. I am present. I am available. I am not just God way out there. I am not just the all-powerful, all-knowing, uh, ever-eternal being. I am the God right here, so much so that I am willing to give everything up to take on flesh and walk these same dusty roads that you walked so that you might know me and that you might call me by name, Jesus. That's worship. Worship is surrender, but worship is also encounter. And in fact, it's interesting because I told you that the first use of the word worship or the first place it gets translated worship is Genesis 22. But that's actually not the first use of the word shakah. The first use of the word shakah, that Hebrew root, that Hebrew word, is actually a few chapters earlier if you flip to G Genesis 18. So flip back to Genesis chapter 18. And this is before Sarah's gotten pregnant. They're still waiting for the promises of God to be fulfilled. They don't even know how yet that God is going to fulfill his promises to Abraham. And it says, And the Lord, Yahweh, appeared to him, being Abraham, by the oaks of Mamre, as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and looked. See that? Refrain repeated right there. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself, Shekah, to the earth and said, O Lord, if I found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Then he gathers uh, food and water to refresh them and, and to create space to meet their needs. Now, side note uh, that... Um, we talk a lot about southern hospitality, right? You know, like in the south, everyone's nice to each other and all that. But actually, if you want to like, experience real hospitality, go to the Middle East, which is different than I think a lot of our understanding of the Middle East just because all the news we hear is about, you know, war and violence and 
fighting and all of that, but they're actually the most hospitable people you'll ever meet in your life. The most open-hearted, generous, like open up their, their home, whatever you need. I, I, if, and if you're in my home, if I've, if I've invited you to my table, if I share bread with you, then I will, I will guard you with my own life. I will treat you like my own flesh and blood. Like that's Middle Eastern hospitality. And a lot of that they trace back to this story right here. And so, so in this, we get Abraham encountering these three strangers. What we'll find out later in the story is that those three strangers actually end up being two angels and God himself in human form. One of the first, what they call a Christophany or appearance of Jesus in the Old Testament. And so you have these three strangers that are bringing a message of God's promised fulfillment. But what is Abraham's posture when he meets these three, these three messengers? To bow down and then to open himself up to everything that they have. It's about encounter, about creating space. And so instead of just giving you a bunch of biblical knowledge, that, you know, like how does this actually apply into our lives, well, we talk about surrender, that first posture of worship. But when we come in on Sunday morning to worship together, or we enter into to, uh, our, our time with God alone to start our day or at the end of our day, when, we, when we're like put on music in the car to worship God, to enter in and just like full tilt, just a, a rush, you know what I mean? Like we're rushing out the door and uh, the, the week has been crazy and busy and we're just trying to grab kids and make sure they have at least one shoe on that's good enough. So we're getting there in the car. And we're trying not to fight too much, and we rush through, and we say some highs and hellos and how are yous, and then we go to our seat, and then we get in here, and, then, and we sing some songs, and we, and we read some Bible scripture or some verses, and then, and then we rush out so that we can beat the crowd at Applebee's, and, uh, and then we go on into our week until we do it all again next week. Which sounds nothing like the worship of the Bible, does it? Because the worship of the Bible is about creating space to encounter God. It's about lifting up our eyes, pausing, opening ourselves up, surrendering. And so my encouragement, just to get real practical, and I know some of you want to throw things at me for this, especially my own family. Get here 10 minutes early. And that's not just a call to, like, let's be a church that's on time. You know, I mean, that's good. But for your own soul, I'm serious, for your own soul. To come in just a f- and breathe, come Lord Jesus, to release whatever burdens you're carrying from the week, whatever stresses and anxieties, what you're, what you're scared of that you're facing next week, what you're excited about, to just be still before God for just a minute, to be present with, to open ourselves to to lay down, whether physically or in our own minds and hearts, to, to surrender who we are and what we have. God, I'm here. God, you're here. And you're good. Like that's when you're powerful and you're present. Like that's worship. And in that posture of stilling and being with God, which, by the way, most of our world, and probably I bet most of you, have no space for that at any other point in your week. Now, that's the invitation, I would say, to begin your day. 
But at least one of the beautiful things about coming together in this rhythm of worship is we have this time together where we breathe. Where our cell phones aren't going off. Maybe they are, but we just ignore them for a little bit. Where we're just present with God and with each other. That's beautiful, isn't it? And isn't there something in your heart that longs? I mean, doesn't that, like, just in you, that's just like, ah, yeah, I need that. You do need that because you were created for that. And the only one that can fill that space is our God in heaven, who is also our God who is here. And so worship, surrender to God encounter with making space for God. And then from, from this posture of surrender and encounter, then we get to that outward expression of worship, which is what we naturally think of. But even before we get to the sing, although the book of Psalms, look at the Bible, okay, how is worship most often used? It's not talking about songs, although the book of Psalms, and we'll get into some uh, of this next week in regards to all the different ways that we worship God with our, with our words and with our bodies. But uh, is that it's, it's an action. It's ministering to God, serving God with our lives. Uh, Eleven chapters of the most deep theological rich depth of the grace and mercy of God. Romans 1 through 11. And then he begins chapter 12 with therefore. Therefore, in light of everything that I've just said, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices holy and pleasing to God. I don't know what's up there. It's your true and, and proper worship. Is this, again, you get this sense of surrender, of encounter, of, of lifting your eyes and getting a glimpse of, of how good God is. But then he's, he's calling worship, this giving of ourselves and our lives and everything we do over to God. And chapter 12 will then shift from, uh, from 1 through 11, what God has done for us, to this invitation of how we are to live in light of who God is and what he's done. And so we see that worship is ministry to God, service to God, service for God. Because he deserves it. And then lastly, and we'll end with this, what we're most familiar with, worship is praise of God, our declaration with our, with our mouths and song, and you are powerful and you are true. And so we get Psalm, um, Psalm 100, this beautiful song of praise. And see if you can hear in it all the different aspects of worship that we just talked about. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving, and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love 
endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. In this space of, of lifting our eyes, of surrender, of encounter, of living our lives in service to God as an act of worship, we also declare his worth and his value in praise and thanksgiving. And so as we continue on in worship through song, I want to take just a minute and let God reset our hearts into that place of deeper encounter. And so I want to read Psalm 100 together, and then I'm going to invite you just to close your eyes. And if you want to get on your knees, uh, if you want to just, uh, if you want to lay on the floor, to London, uh, I, I want to just walk us through in prayer into inviting God to, to um, wake us up to who he is and to root us in, in, in true worship. And then after, after we pray, uh, and we invite you into communion. Communion, this, this weekly rhythm as we gather together as the body of Christ. Remembering Jesus at the night that he was betrayed, and he took that bread and he broke it. And he said, this, this is my body given for you, this ultimate act of sacrifice. Is this reminder that the presence of God is just as available now as it was then. The presence of God is as real to our souls as that bread is in our mouth. That's the power of communion. And so in communion, we take that bread and we recognize the body of Christ given for us. And Jesus who said, take, eat. And every time you do this, do this in remembrance of me. And then he took that cup of Passover, the cup of redemption. And he said, this is my blood shed for the forgiveness of your sins. The blood of a new covenant, new oneness with God. Take and drink. And every time you do this, do this in remembrance so in communion, it's, a, it's a, an act of surrender. It's an act of faith, of receiving and remembering who God is and what he did for us in Christ. The forgiveness of God by the blood of Jesus. The presence of God by the body of Jesus. So let's read Psalm 100 together. And like I said, I invite you afterwards to close your eyes. And let's just create some space for God to speak. Full noise. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. All right, I'm going to pause. So, I'm sitting here, and I'm looking at those words. What is the third word? What's the fourth word? All right, what's the third word? What's the fourth word? All right, let me act out what I just witnessed. It's almost like we're saying, let the rest of the earth make the joyful noise because I'm not. All right, here we go. We're going to do this again. Let's see, here we go. All right, ready? Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. 
Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name, for the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Amen. Amen. Now I invite you to close your eyes, close your eyes, and take a deep breath. And Lord Jesus, we recognize that you are here with us, living and active, your ever-present word, that you have all authority and all power, and you come near, that you draw near to the brokenhearted, that you hear the cries of our heart, that you see us and that you're with us, that you call us forward. Lord, you convict us of our sin so that we can live into the fullness of your life. And Lord, you are good and faithful, merciful and gracious, loving and kind, full of justice and righteousness. So even right now, as we gather together, Lord, we invite you, will you call to mind? All the things in our life to which we, God, and just thank him for the blessings. And if you're willing to just ask God to search your heart, and is there anything that you need to surrender to him that you're holding on to? Is there any place that you need to receive his grace and his forgiveness to be washed clean by his blood? Again, just with God, just be honest. See yourself letting go of those things, letting them go to him on the cross. of anxiety or fear that you need to invite him into. Any place of shame or guilt you need to let him forgive. Any place of bondage that you need his freedom. closed in your heart the words of scripture lift up your eyes to heaven and will you give us a glimpse of your eternal power and working
God, we worship you.